The trustworthy medical experts may have lied to us about the safe and effectiveness of the COVID vaccine right as a new one rolls out. Who saw that coming? But I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Let's get into it. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Magnifying Glass podcast. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and today with me is my co-host, Liam Ford. Today we are discussing the Historic Medical Affairs Committee hearing that took place in the South Carolina Senate where doctors, an attorney, and even a USC professor show some pretty damning evidence against the COVID vaccine and what DHEC had to say about it. But before we get into that, I have a question for you. Do you ever want to just get away from town and go out into the country and fill your lungs up with fresh air and sunshine? Well, you can, and you can help out a great cause at the same time. Join Palmetto State Watch at a fundraiser skeet shoot at SCDNR Watery Range in Eastover on Saturday, November 11th, 2023. We will get together and start at around 12 noonish with a barbecue lunch and you'll shoot a course of 60 clay pigeons all for $50 per shooter ages 16 and up bring your own shotgun ammo and personal safety eyewear and ear protection you can go to palmettostatewatch.com to click to buy tickets for the $50 per shooter or just getting the lunch if you would just like to come and hang out with us um, you can find more information about this in the show notes and at the link I told you just earlier. So let's go ahead and jump into the main topic of our podcast today, which was the South Carolina Senate hearing that happened on September 12th. This was truly a historic hearing that happened, and I'm going to link a lot of the highlighted videos that I say would say is the most important that you need to watch in the description below. But there was a lot of information that came out, especially when it came to the testimony of a USC professor. Liam, how about you share some of your thoughts on it when you watch the video and your first reactions? Yeah, I mean, it was. it's always exciting to see whenever people start to get in uh, in the public eye, people with you know credibility, because we're always told, hey, like, we should listen to the experts on this. And then, you know, it just seems that every expert that the media pushes is uh, on one side of of opinion, just to put it nicely. So it's nice to see uh, some real debate happening. It's nice to see that you know some experts are willing to stand up now. It's you know it's taken a little bit of time, um, but it seems to be that there's a little bit more skepticism hitting the mainstream about you know the the efficacy at least of these vaccines if not uh starting to point out some serious signs of uh dangers associated with with taking these vaccines um and so it was good to see that uh from the beginning yeah you know i knew one of the doctors that testified and he was i would say a frontline doctor during COVID. He was one of the only doctors out there that were encouraging ivermectin, trying to get it to people in hospitals, were uh, encouraging um, hydrochloroquine and a lot of different more uh, natural ways of healing yourself from the, uh, from the pandemic, from the COVID virus or whatever you want to call it. And it had much more of a success rate than 
all of the other people that I spoke to that had to go into these hospitals and um, some were put on a respirator, some did not make it out, some did, but it was truly heartbreaking because you had the South Carolina medical field and DHEC shoving remdesivir and respirators and everything and, and vaccines down your throat, but not really solving the main issue. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, we know now, especially that respirators were basically a death sentence that if, you know, you went into a hospital, you actually had a lot worse chance of, of surviving just because they were going, you know, the, the standard practice at the time was, hey, just put them on a respirator if they're, you know, they're having any trouble breathing. And now we know that that actually contributed to an increase in mortality rate uh, in hospitals. But going back to what you're saying about these alternative uh, therapeutics that were being shut down, I think that, you know, it, it hasn't been necessarily accepted yet, but we do know for a fact that if there is a proven therapeutic for a uh, for an illness, then you will not be able to get an emergency use authorization for a vaccine for that illness. And so if you think about what that meant in terms of look at the stock price for Pfizer and Moderna with the amount of money that was made, uh, there's definitely some lines that can be drawn there on was this information being deliberately shut down by the scientists, by the authorities and government, by the FDA, by the CDC, and all of those, just so that they would be able to apply for and then get this emergency youth author use authorization that they could turn around and make billions of dollars off of. I, it, it's definitely a question that we should be asking. It really should be. And one of my favorite parts that came out of this hearing was the final testimony. They brought up Dr. Simmer from DHEC, who is the Department of Health and Environment in South Carolina. Uh, Governor McMaster basically gave them uncontrollable power during COVID, billions and billions of dollars um, with both state and federal funding. And he got up there, pretty much ignored all of the testimony that had happened the first time or earlier that day for over eight hours. And he simply sat there pushing out statistics that have been pushed forever, that have been disproven and continue to repeat them over and over again in his mask, of course, his N95 that's gonna protect him. And I was so proud of the committee themselves because they weren't taking any flack. These representatives and senators from South Carolina, they were standing up and they were really pushing back at him and even quoting some other statistics that was putting him in a corner. And he did, he couldn't really say anything. He would just go back. I mean, it was just like the liberal media. They go back and they say the same thing and pretend that they didn't even hear you. Yeah, it's just go back to the talking points. And then, you know, the reason that, that people particularly politicians and bureaucrats think that as long as they just keep repeating and towing the party line that they'll be fine is because they know the media will do the exact same thing for them and they're just going to get favorable coverage on the evening news and so it really doesn't matter because who's going to sit down and take the time to watch a full eight hours of a committee hearing mm -hmm. in the south carolina state senate almost nobody who's going to turn on the evening news who's going to watch or, or pick up a newspaper or a magazine or go to social media almost everybody and so they know that that's the way that information is consumed here in America in 2023. And so they really have no allegiance to the truth because they have the media on their side to cover their backs. Yeah, and guess what the first article was right after this hearing happened from AP News. COVID oh, sure. deniers swarm well, the I mean, state house. 
if if you look up, uh, if you just Google the doctor's names from these these hearings, uh, you'll just get all these fact checks from from Yahoo and you know false claims recirculate of harmful DNA in COVID nineteen vaccines. And you know so again, they're they're protected from any um, backlash because people aren't actually going to be able to get the whole information without going to the original source and and spending eight hours to go and and listen to the doctors listen to how the bureaucrats respond to that, how they ignore the evidence presented by the doctors, the very experts that those same bureaucrats then turn around and tell the regular people to trust, that they're not actually trusting themselves. So it, 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 it's very convoluted, but that's the reason that these bureaucrats keep getting away with this. Yeah, and I love how Dr. Simmer, when he got up there, uh, Senator Garrett, I believe, was the first person to question him. And he said, uh, how, why are we not doing studies in South Carolina. Like, what happened to South Carolinians? And Simmer said, well, that's not really our job. We we trust, you know, we look at whatever comes through from the CDC and the FDA and the studies they do. And don't worry, I know that it's factual because I've read the details of their study. And then Representative Adam Morgan, I loved when he came back closer to the end and he said, I just pulled up your job description in the code of laws. And it says that you can research and investigate. Th those are your job categories. And you have billions of dollars, so you're not doing it. All you're doing is repeating whatever the CDC tells you to do. And the doctor said, oh, well, it's, it's just a partnership. We have a partnership between the CDC. A partnership? That sends chills down my back. Well, so if, you, if you're not doing anything, if you're just taking whatever they're gonna give you, that doesn't really sound like a partnership. That sounds like you're just basically get being given what you're what they're going to hand you and you have to run with it. That doesn't sound like a partnership at all. If it was a partnership. You should both be doing your own studies or you should both be working jointly on a study. Right. Right. Exactly. And so he kept pushing it off. Oh, well, maybe MUSC, but we're not head over that. And we have no power in this. If you look, if you look at anything that DHEC has done, they have had complete power over everything in the health system and the environment, so much so that they decided a few months ago that they were going to split the health and the environment side of DHEC and make them into two separate entities. Oh, but don't worry. Uh, he said, uh, Dr. Simmer said that he relies on the federal government to do his investigations. That's in a direct quote. One of the other things that he stated that I was uh, really interested in was uh, Dr. Simmer was asked about the number of vaccinated deaths and whether or not those were calculated into COVID deaths. Dr. Simmer's response said there was no sufficient information. Well, Representative April Cromer, she heard that and waited until she was able to speak. And her response was, well, DHEC used to post the death numbers of how many individuals that were dying of COVID were unvaccinated deaths. What happened to that? Well, Dr. Simmer said, oh, well, mostly the federal government paid for that. Amazing what happens whenever you have federal government dollars uh, basically instilling fear in the population, because that's what it was. I mean, you remember for years you had, you know, especially on like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, even all of them, they had those death count tickers on this on the side of the screen or or in the lower third, 24/7. You know, they would just like slowly keep taking it up, and they never reset it. You know, it didn't matter if you were on year one or year two; it was just always going to go up, and you're just going to keep counting up. You know, you you don't count 
flu deaths in the same way. You don't just basically pile every flu death across human history or even the last 10 years into the number whenever you say, this is how many people died from the flu, right? That means that flu season. But they, they weren't trying to do that. They were trying to drum up as much fear as possible. And so they wanted to get the numbers, to inflate the numbers as much as possible. And so that's what they did. They just kept counting from, from the day that they, they declared a pandemic. They just started counting from there and never reset it. And then the other thing that they did was, just as you kind of alluded to there, whenever it came to the vaccinated versus unvaccinated deaths, whenever there was early on in the rollout and you know not many people were being vaccinated, not, not, not a big percentage of the population had been vaccinated, they would, they would be using the, the numbers. They'd be like, oh, well, look, you know, 80% of the deaths were unvaccinated. And then it became 70% of the deaths are unvaccinated. And then it became, you know, 10% of the deaths are unvaccinated. And that's not, that's not as convincing uh, to the portion of the population that is not accepting these vaccines. And if you're gonna, you can't go up there and say, you know, 90% of the people who die of COVID are fully vaccinated, so you should get fully vaccinated. That's not a very convincing sales pitch. So they just immediately just cut it off and they stop talking about it. So it never be, is, is uh, efficient for them whenever it comes to marketing, because that's essentially what this was. They were marketing a product for the population. And if you think about it like that, then it cuts away all the noise. You you know, it you make a lot more sense of listen to the experts. You should wear no masks. Well, you should wear two masks. No, you can wear one mask. You know, all of this, it was basically all just to sell a product to the people. Mm-hmm. The product being the vaccine. And they completely sidestep it and ignore when straight research comes from experts on the ground in South Carolina, the USC professor showing that 200 billion plasma DNA is in each dose of the vaccine. That is huge. Well, yeah, and it's it's something that, again, just as we were talking about earlier, the media will continue to cover for. You know, I, I brought up earlier, there's that Yahoo uh, fact check relating to this specific hearing that, that now if you Google it, that's the first result you're going to get. Uh, so they still, they're still running interference on that. They still don't want people to know information like that. Oh yeah. And you'll never find out about one of the doctors. Dr. Robert Jackson actually has a, a very well done protocol for vaccine injured individuals. And it has been healing people all across the state. So I highly recommend if anybody is interested in that or has somebody that has been vaccine injured or that you live with um, that has been vaccinated, I highly suggest that you uh, speak to him and get some more information about that. Otherwise, you're not going to know. And it'll just be like what Dr. Simmer said the whole time. Oh, well, they're they're not contacting us. But the thing is, DHEC doesn't care about the on the ground workers in South Carolina. Well, as he said, that's that's not their job, right? right. They're just in partnership with the CDC. Exactly. But talking about uh, injuries from the vaccine uh, brings me to perhaps my favorite um, piece of information. Not just it was relevant to this hearing, but also just kind of with COVID-19, the vaccines, the pandemic in general, uh, is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS, uh, which he said uh, that there was there was not sufficient evidence i believe or not sufficient information uh in the vaccine of adverse event reporting system um which as you know you know for anybody that you know has been following the alternative media uh throughout the pandemic related to this is completely farcical 
And there's a number of different, there's actually a number of different uh, vaccine adverse event reporting systems. There's the open bears, which you're probably familiar with, which was basically started in response to, uh, you know, events not being counted because that was a, that's a part of the problem with the whole, the whole system is you're counting on a time when, you know, hospitals are very busy. You know, they have to do their TikTok dances. I mean, they have to be very, very courageous frontline warriors and they have to stand up and protect humanity. So they're working on that. They're doing their job. But part of it is, you know, if they oversee an adverse event, they have to go through a whole process to report that to VAERS. And so a lot of times, and this is a legitimate critique, there, it was very underreported. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. But to say that what we do have is not sufficient, even if you assume that it was 100% reporting success rate, is absurd. Uh, the World Health Organization, for example, has their own uh, VAERS database. In it, you have over 5 million adverse events relating to uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. And, I mean, that 5 million is not a, what did he say, insufficient number? That's a pretty significant number. Included in that, 16% of those over 5 million uh, were nervous system disorders. That's over almost 2 million that they had. They had 1,924,477 adverse events affecting the nervous system in the World Health Organization's VAERS database. And again, you can go look it up uh, if, you wanna, if you want to, if you want to go check this information. It's vigiaccess.org. And it'll bring you to the World Health Organization official website. Super easy to use. Just search in COVID-19 vaccine and it'll pull it up and you can you can browse through. There are you know, thousands of different subcategories that these events are, are tabulated into. So you can know exactly, you know, what what is likely to happen, what likely adverse events there are, what unlikely ones there are. Uh, and, and the CDC also has their own official VAERS database. And again, both the World, World Health Organization and the CDC, these aren't ones that, you know, people can just go and report to themselves. Mm -hmm. As much as I think that, that open VAERS might be more accurate even, just because of the underreporting that we know happens with these databases, these are official databases that are maintained by, you know, health officials. So you, that there's nobody that's going to be able to argue with the legitimacy of And can you numbers. imagine how you, many more reports there would be if it was easier to actually report vaccine injuries? It would be, uh, it would literally be 10 times more, and I'll, and I'll get into why, why that's the case. Um, but in the CDC one, even in the CDC, which again, this is just the United States specifically, so smaller population, but even in that one, you have 951,000. So again, how is that a statistically insignificant number? It's not. It's just a lie. Again, a lie because he knows the media is going to be able to cover for him and he's not going to be held accountable for lying about mm -hmm. this. Now, I've alluded to this a couple of times through here, is that there is a huge underreporting of in these VAERS programs. And interestingly enough, I actually wrote an article a couple of years ago uh, referencing VAERS and, and the data from it. And probably the most interesting piece of information that I got through that through my research for that article was there's a 1996 MedWatch study that was conducted by the Food and Drug Administration here in the United States that discovered, and this is a quote, um, another major concern with any spontaneous reporting system is underreporting of adverse events. It has been estimated that rarely more than 10% of serious adverse events and 2 to 4% of non-serious reactions are reported to the British Spontaneous Reporting Program, which is basically the British counterpart to the CDC program that I referenced earlier. 
Uh, it continues, a similar estimate is that the FDA receives by direct report less than 1% of suspected ADRs. So that's saying for, in the United States, the FDA is gonna get less than 1%. And by the best numbers for the British counterpart, they're gonna get 10% of serious ones. Hmm. So you're telling me that the numbers could be between you know, 10 on, and 100 times more than the numbers that we're seeing in our VAERS system? I mean, that, that's pretty damning evidence. Even in the CDC one, where you have 950 some odd thousand reported adverse events, I think over 15,000 of them are, are death. So these are not, you know, you're not, getting a, you're not just getting headaches, you're not just getting you know, a rash on your skin or pain at an injection site, site where you got the shot. You're talking about death, strokes, cardiovascular events. And so these are serious problems that are just being buried in the way that this VAERS system works. Um, and it doesn't matter how many examples you have. They can just point back and, and lie and say, it doesn't matter. It's insignificant. There's an insignificant amount of information, which is just criminal. It's so sad. And it is a little, I'd say more than a little. It's extremely concerning that different states were getting paid tens of thousands of dollars just to report a death as a COVID death. In South Carolina, they were getting paid over $80,000. The hospitals were getting paid more than $80,000 per death to classify them as COVID deaths. But when asked about it with Dr. Simmer, oh, how many were actually related to, to the vaccine or weren't? Oh, we don't know. Insufficient evidence. Well, that's part of the problem is that you, the government was financially incentivizing these hospitals to basically label everything a COVID death. And I mean, you know, we've seen some pretty extreme examples of that. You know, people die in a motorcycle accident and people say, oh, well, COVID, um, that, that was the cause of death was COVID, not the motorcycle accident. Yeah, so they accident. were, they uh, were getting paid to encourage the vaccine and advertise it, market it, and tell every single person that walked in, oh, you've got to get this vaccine. Then they make a bunch of money from all of the issues that the vaccine was causing, especially myocarditis um, in young males. They were definitely susceptible the most to that. And then you get paid even more for their death. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, I forgot um, the companies that create the pharmaceutical companies that created this vaccine are also funding the studies that are coming out against ivermectin and about how great the vaccines are, but I'm sure that doesn't relate at all. And I'm sure that they would never uh, jeopardize the efficacy of the studies that they're going to conduct on their own drugs, which, it, you know, kind of going back to the partnership that, you know, South Carolina, we just have a partnership with the FDA, which means that, and the CDC, which means that the state of South Carolina just accepts whatever gets handed down to them by the feds. Well, where does the information come to the feds from? Well, the feds just take whatever the manufacturing companies, so Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, J&J, &J, whatever information and whatever studies those companies conduct, basically the FDA just you know gives its stamp of approval to and then runs with. I mean, there was an NPR article uh, from February 19th of 2021 called Long-Term Studies of COVID-19 Vaccines Hurt by Placebo Recipients Getting Immunized. So there is no control group. 
So that means that you have no basis to compare the people in your study. So you won't be able to know what, you know, if the vaccines are effective, if they're causing severe adverse events. All of that is completely out the window because a couple of weeks into this long-term study, everybody is vaccinated. That's not how you control, like, that's not how you do a study, but it doesn't matter because, you know, the FDA turns around, stamp of approval, you know, we'll extend your emergency use authorization and there you go, make another Oh yeah, and then dollars. let's mandate every single person that needs to work that they must get the vaccine. People in South Carolina seem to forget that, or at least the elected officials do, because McVaster loves going around saying that he never shut down the state. Well, he shut it down over 30 times. He put out more than 6,000 businesses permanently because of the shutdowns and i can't tell you how many people i knew in both my families my friends and acquaintances that lost their jobs or almost lost their jobs because they refused to take the vaccine that doesn't even count the amount of people that did take the vaccine because they were scared of losing their jobs i mean at at college they tried to do the same thing to me i had to get a they said it was getting mandated everywhere and then all of a sudden in the fine print they said oh you can do a religious exemption and so that's what i went for they also had a few other exemptions but guess what it would chop chop you off at the knees when it came to um, getting any sort of educational thing so all you could do was submit a religious exemption and it looks like everything i put in my religious exemption is all coming out right now because they said I was crazy. Well, it doesn't look like I'm crazy now when you are seeing all these plasma DNA particles inside of the Pfizer vaccine and even a little bit less in the Moderna. Yep. Yep. It's amazing how last year's conspiracy theorist, uh, is, you know, is, is keeps being proven right throughout this whole Absolutely. process. Absolutely. And I think one of the funniest parts about this whole hearing happening, I mean, it was historic, no doubt. And I wish it could have received a lot more uh, press, whether negative or positive, just to get the word out, because it was truly astounding to see all of these whistleblowers come out. But at a local GOP meeting recently, one of the senators that sat on that medical affairs committee in that hearing was Senator Richard Cash. He is a homeschool father in Anderson, and he has been a senator for a good while now. But he stated that, you know, the hearing was held on September 12th. Well, the next day, the state epidemiologist, Linda Bell, had a briefing to encourage people to get a booster. And that DHEC, the day after, so September 13th, the day after the hearing started recommending it. Oh, good, it, because the FDA approved it on September 11th. So we've got the FDA approving this new great booster vaccine, whatever, um, on September 11th. We have this huge historic hearing happening on September 12th. And then we've got DHEC and the epidemiologists of South Carolina recommending it and saying everybody's got to get their boosters on September 13th. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. On September 12th, uh, we held a listening session regarding the COVID pandemic. Uh, three uh, senators, three House members, all, all Republicans uh, were on this select committee. And we had to, uh, you know, limit the number of speakers and the amount of time they could speak to try to, to, to try to get in people who are experts to speak to us. But we were still there for seven, over seven hours. 
The video is, is on the State House website if anybody wants to watch it. On September 12th, which was a Tuesday, we had this meeting. The very next day, our state epidemiologist, Dr. Linda Bell, had a virtual statewide media briefing to discuss COVID-19. And her advice to people was to get a booster. The CDC recommends that updated vaccines be administered to everyone six months of age and older. Our DGAC is on board with that. That's what they recommended. No. Now, I think the, the timing of it being the day after our meeting was just actually was coincidental because it was actually on September 11th that the FDA approved this season's vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer. And, and so, you know, our meeting happened the next day, the, the uh, recommendation the day after that. So I think we're going to need, hopefully, to, to have some response to DHEC to try to move them a little bit more towards the position that Florida has taken. On September 13th, you see, Florida has a state surgeon general, and they put out an advisory about the booster shot. And uh, what I would call this, and I think what we need in South Carolina, is just informed consent. In other words, this is the state surgeon general telling people, if, if you are considering taking this vaccine, here are some things to keep in mind. Right. Well, one of the one of the good things, I mean, I, I would like to see a little bit more institutional support uh, for the information that mm -hmm. came out during these hearings in South Carolina. But, you know, in Florida, for example, the, the Florida Surgeon General for I think over a year ago now put out a letter basically saying, you know, anybody under the age of 65 should not be taking, uh, you know, any more COVID boosters. And, you know, they're not going to be recommending they're going to be recommending against it. Uh, and they've also, you know, tried to have, especially for kids under the age of 18, uh, really tried to make it as difficult as possible uh, to, for, for them to get access to the COVID-19 boosters. So, you know, hopefully you see some uh, push from maybe, you know, the South Carolina Surgeon General or some other institutional powers within South Carolina to, to do the same thing there now that they have this information at their disposal. Yeah, and, and we don't even have a state general. I want yours. I mean, state surgeon, whatever. Um, I want that one because that was when he said that yes. I just DHEC's got to step aside because that's basically who acts as what you could consider our surgeon general, I guess. Okay. Um, it, it's disgusting. It's really just these boards and bureaucracies, which since we mentioned commissions, boards and bureaucracies, uh, did you know that the governor is the one that appoints every single person that sits on these commissions and boards that hold a huge amount of power in South Carolina, there's actually a list. Currently there's over 400 vacancies and the list of expired or expiring terms is even more staggering over 1000 spots. Well, maybe you can get some good people appointed. That's what I'm thinking. That. So it, how do you even get appointed to a board in South Carolina? But the, you can see here, this is a uh, the newest member at large list for the DHEC board. And it looks like currently the board consists of eight members, one from each congressional district, a chairman from the state at large appointed by the governor upon the advice and consent of the South Carolina Senate. The seven um, 
congressional district board seats have staggered over four-year terms, but there's, uh, I think, one or more that are sitting in those seats right now that are way past their terms. No one's been appointed for their position yet. Um, most of the terms are either expired or expiring, and granted, DHEC is going to split into two agencies, so that may have some change on this, but we need to get more people involved on these boards. Um, recently, I know Horry County had a lot of uh, board openings, even on the election commission. It's time that we get our own South Carolinians on these things and not just a bunch of elected officials appointing their buddies that have a different viewpoint of those that live here. Oh, you mean you should, you want government to be representative? I, I don't, I don't think I that's mean, very likely. You know, you can hope and dream that we could be a Republic. Oh, well, yeah, but that's all you're going to do. You're going to hope and dream. Nothing's going to come to reality out of it. You know that there's too much bureaucracy. You, I mean, you look at, you look at what happens whenever you give, you know, people the unchecked power. And again, you know, just like the the same reason that nobody's ever going to know, the, you know, the real information regarding, you know, all the plasma DNA that are in these vaccines or, you know, any of the other lies that the health administrations, you know, in South Carolina or globally or in the United States with the CDC and the FDA. The reason nobody knows about that is the same reason that people don't know that maybe even the DHEC exists it's because, you know, the media runs interference. And so, you know, you really have to get out, get, you know, the word out gra grassroots like Palmetto State Watch is doing to really get people involved, because that's the only way that you're going to make a difference. The only way that you're going to be able to get people appointed to these boards that actually represent the will of the people within their districts, with those congressional districts, is if the people stand up and demand that, you know, McMaster or whoever is in charge of it is going to make sure that they appoint people that you know, are going to look after the interest of the constituents. That's the way I this works. I can always count on you to give a good reality check, Liam, because that is, that's the truth. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Magnifying Glass podcast. We delve deep, bringing the overlooked into focus and magnifying the stories that matter to you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and share, helping us shine a light on even more discoveries. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and remember, sometimes the smallest details make the biggest difference. Until next time, keep looking closer.